I took our list of a hundred people on our cap table or advisors or people in our network. And I just looked up every single one of their names in a couple of different databases, including just iTunes directly to find out what shows that they had been on themselves in the past. And that we probably secured 30 plus shows just from that approach. Interacting with anyone who's ever been on a podcast and then figuring out what shows they've been on and then asking for an introduction. I'm Ben Grenell, part of the early startup team here at Levels. We're building tech that helps people to understand their metabolic health, and this is your front row seat to everything we do. This is a whole new level. I sat down with Tom Griffin head of partnerships at Levels In. We talked through this process, this podcast tour that he ran, and he ran it really diligently. A lot of people started taking notice about it. Josh Clementi, Casey Means, two of the co-founders of Levels, well, they went on this podcast tour over the course of six months between the fall of 2020 and early 2021, where they appeared on more than 100 different podcasts. And to people who looked at it from an outside lens, they said it was the best execution of a podcast strategy that they've seen within any startup. And for Tom, it was second nature. It was something that he innately held close and really knew how to play those cards. He had prior experience in running something similar with Halo, Halo Neuroscience, when he worked with that startup prior to Levels. And so Tom, well, he put his head down and he started executing. When everyone talked internally about doing this podcast tour, Tom didn't even blink an eye. He just started going. He knew how to pull the levers, work all the mechanisms, use the tools in his toolbox to really make this happen. And he did it so effectively as one person who was overseeing partnerships. Simultaneously, Tom ran this similar playbook in targeting affiliates and influencers so that we could get more awareness and traction for levels. It was a playbook that he really ran across social. And to this day, we still use those lessons learned against many of the projects that we undertake. So Tom and I sat down and we talked about his outlook on not only partnerships, but some of the insight behind this podcast tour that he ran, how we're going to continue to use those learnings moving forward and the way that we can apply them. Here's where we dug in. There's been a lot of conversation around the way that we've approached and we being not levels as a team basically you like you really spearheading and leading the charge on this go-to-market strategy on pursuing podcasts and working with influencers and affiliates and it's something that i think intuitively it seemed like second nature you're like well that's just the way that you do it and to other people they would say like this is the best process i've ever seen run and so it would be cool to hear your perspective of how that even came about. Yeah, totally. I mean, the good news, not to project a false sense of modesty on behalf of the team, and it was really a team effort, but the good news is it's quite simple. But yeah, I mean, I think in terms of just why it might be helpful to start, like why we focused on podcasts to begin with as like a target 
channel, which is also a pretty simple explanation. And that was really because one, Sam and Mike had talked to at that time, I don't know, thousands of people on our wait list. And we just consistently heard when we asked people how you got interested in CGM or perhaps ever heard about CGM or glucose as an interesting molecule to uh, track, vast majority of them said the podcast channel, which is quite surprising. The internet's a big place, but a real significant percentage of them said the podcast channel. So we knew from that kind of hard data. And then going back to my job prior to Levels, um, we had also kind of uncovered the podcast channel as really our target marketing channel. And it proved to be the largest driver of revenue. So when I initially started at Levels, that was kind of context for how I started initially talking to Sam was saying like, listen, I've got some experience in this space and happy to help out. Let's rewind all the way then, right? Like I think there's there's an interesting layer to this that we yeah. haven't even set the foundation for. So, I mean, we haven't set the table. What's your name? Where are <laughs> you from? What's your background? Like you've got a very cool background and then leading that into where you were before levels, a lot of that experience has tied directly into everything we're doing. So let's start there. Rewind to who yeah. you are, where you're from. Totally. So this is this is Tom Griffin speaking here, head of partnerships at Levels. And yeah, I mean, I had a brief and varied career. I haven't been working for too long, but started at an organization called Venture for America which was a small, at the time, you know, nonprofit. There's sort of an investment for profit arm as well, but small nonprofit based out of New York that helped catalyze startup communities and entrepreneurship in non-major U.S. cities. So like emerging tech hubs, think places like Cleveland or Detroit or New Orleans. Did that for a handful of years. Pretty un, like not super well-known organization became well-known. It got a lot of national media attention over the years. And then eventually the Founder Andrew Yang ran for president, and now a lot more people are familiar with Andrew and the organization. And then from there, you know, cut to the chase. I, that's when I got into the kind of direct to consumer health and science technology space, working at a startup out in San Francisco called Halo Neuroscience. And interestingly, it shared a lot of similarities to levels in that we were taking a technology that had existed in the clinical or medical space, um, which was actually a form of electrical stimulation to be applied to the brain, and building a consumer market from scratch that had never existed before. So all of the kind of education hurdles around what is this technology? How does it work? Is it safe? How does it add value to my life? Existed at Halo. And that was one reason why we stumbled into the podcast channel as well, because we were so keen on finding long form education channels where we can really educate prospective customers on you know what this technology was and how it was going to benefit them. Yeah. Anytime you're building frontier tech, like anytime you're basically creating a category within either within a certain aspect of tech. So like health tech, you're creating this frontier tech with Halo. The majority of time is spent on the awareness part of the funnel. What is this thing? Why should a person use it? And thinking through, like, how are you going to reach those people to undertake those education initiatives? And it's really hard because you can't, when you are focused on that being your sole goal, not awareness from a brand perspective to say, cool, people know who our brand is and loosely what we do. We can move 
like through to the consideration and conversion parts of the funnel, you really have to sit there saying, all we're going to do is educate over and over and over. And you can't compete for three seconds of attention. Like it just doesn't work. You have to pursue these long form distribution channels, whether it's through YouTube, working with people who are doing longer form videos, like we'll call it 10 minute videos or podcasts that might be up to an hour. And that is where you want to anchor people's attention. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's funny. My friends have like kind of always made fun of me for working at what they would call more like obscure or complex startups or organizations that are difficult to summarize in like a very brief conversation. So you know, over the last decade or so when we would all be out at a bar or in some social setting and we'd be meeting people and they'd be like, you know, so what do you all do for work? And there's one friend who says finance, another says advertising agency, another says I work at Nike. And then there's always me who says, well, I work at a startup and it's kind of a long story, but happy to get into it if you're interested. And, you know, if they are at all interested, it's it could be up to a podcast length conversation that really requires getting them up to speed on what we're up to. So that's exactly right. You need the side door. So what would always used to happen when people would ask about Skip, like they might ask Pam about Skip and they'd say, oh, cool, he's a driver. She would just say, yeah, he drives. It was just so much easier than explaining, especially in early stage when you end up doing so many different things, like you're wearing so many different hats. So it's not just explaining like, what is this technology? And thinking back, right, like where we're at with levels, we're at this early, early phase of getting the technology out to the world. So trying to explain to people like what this technology is, is its own endeavor. If a person doesn't have a foundation of knowledge of like what this tech is and what it does, sometimes it's easier just to say like, I work with a startup. You know, it's just so much easier, but it's really fun. Like the other side of it, it's really, really fun when you're engaged in like all the work being done, because when you get the opportunity to have those conversations, it's just like, it's so easy to light up and be like, oh, let's talk about it, you know, go really deep. A hundred percent. I'll sometimes warn people. I'll say like, you don't know it yet, but you're embarking on like a roughly one hour conversation right now. So just confirming that uh, (laughs) you want to sign up for that. But then other times when I'm exhausted or whatever, I'll end up saying some sort of like strangely vague description, you know, I'll just be like health technology. And they're like, well, what do you do? What do you mean by that? You know, it's like too vague. Whereas if you just say I work in finance, people usually leave it at that. No, that's so good. Okay. So you joined, it's almost a year. You are like on the cusp of being a year in, like you're one of the earliest levels team members. And yeah, I think it's just about a year right now. Because it was July when you had joined and July of 20. And I think June, June as a contractor. Oh my, look at that. Exact date. But gotta find that out. I know, I know. But yeah, I mean, how, just quickly how I got connected. I mean, basically I had a friend reach out to me who said, you should be tracking on this company. I just talked to the founders. I mean, at that point it was pretty much, it was founders and then Mike, head of member success and John, one of our engineers. And just basically you'd be interested in this company, like as a consumer. So It was funny at the time I was starting to pick up my head and think about what might be next in my career. And so I had had kind of a tip that if I signed up for the beta 
the CEO, this guy, Sam, who I you know, didn't know anything about, was going to email me and probably set up a 15-minute call. So it was funny because I, I sort of went into it knowing I'll probably be able to get on the phone pretty quickly with the CEO of this company to learn more, even though it's going to be part of their just sort of beta onboarding process. You uh, hacked your way in, man. I hacked my way in. And yeah, Sam didn't know it. So we just had kind of a conversation about what I was looking for in the product and how I found out about it, et cetera. But then at the end, I said, listen, this is what the space that I've been focused on. And I have a lot of relationships. It sounds like you're focused specifically on doing more podcasts, which is specifically an area that I have some experience in. So let me know if there's any way that I can help. And the rest is kind of history. Kind of stayed in touch with Sam and kept knocking on the door and saying, here's a document that I created at my last company, if it could be helpful. Here are some names of people in the space that I can make introductions to. And this was all while I still had a job, but one thing led to another. Always be closing. Look at that. <laughs> and so, so you came on board and you came on as head of partnerships. Yep. When you joined the team, like head of partnerships is such a broad, broad oh. scope of work, broad responsibility, and it can mean a lot of different things at different companies. So an enterprise yeah. company or a company focused on B2B, head of partnerships is entirely different than a consumer company and then drill down to consumer tech. Like we can extrapolate this forever. But when you joined the team, there was so much work to do, but what was it that you started working on immediately? And then how did that evolve into this podcast and influencer slash affiliate strategy that you've really spearheaded? Yeah. So it's funny. I don't know if we've talked about this, but I will like somewhat frequently get a message on LinkedIn from someone in my network. This is in part due to my job at Venture for America, where part of my job is sort of mentoring a lot of recent college grads on how to navigate a startup career. So I get a lot of messages from people that say, they want my advice on like how to do partnerships. But to your point, you know, it'll be someone who works in like the B2B like trucking software space and they want advice on quote unquote partnerships, which is allegedly what I have expertise in. And I just allegedly have, <laughs> I just have to tell them straight up, like, listen, I'm happy to get on the phone with you, but I'm gonna have nothing to say about how you should approach B2B enterprise software partnerships in the the trucking software space. Which is just to say that, yeah, this term is extremely nebulous, this term partnerships. And starting with just, you know, who are your customers? Is it direct to consumer or is it B2B? There are so many differences in approach. But I think interestingly, like increasingly this partnerships role in the direct to consumer space, particularly in kind of the health and wellness space, is becoming a little bit more well-defined and a lot of companies are trying to hire for it quite quickly. But yeah, when I came on board, they had just started, the founding team had just started to focus on doing more podcast interviews. So specifically having Casey and Josh do more interviews. And this was an approach, like we called it podcast tour at Halo. And I, I believe, you know, Levels was using that terminology as well, but it was something that I had kind of run at Halo. And I think at the time, you know, not many companies were thinking explicitly in those terms of like running a dedicated media tour on the podcast circuit, at least in the direct to consumer space. So that was the first project that I was kind of charged with was building out that tour strategy, which was a lot of fun. And over the course of six months, we had booked you know, between 100 and 150 shows or something crazy like that. Yeah, it's wild. So people talk about, and by people, I mean, mostly, we'll call it like mostly investors or partners, people who we would 
interface with on a regular basis, as opposed to members or the general public. They might not have the same lens on the execution of the podcast strategy just because it's an outsider's perspective, right? But when people have the lens on what was done, everybody cites how well things were executed. Like that is not a small number to appear on a hundred, we'll call it, it was like 120 podcasts over six months. That is a ton of appearances. It's a ton of coordination and it's a ton of targeting. Like that's not just a throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Like Josh was not on a knitting podcast. Josh was on tier one, tier two, tier three shows that had to do with technology, health and wellness. Casey was on tier one, tier two, tier three shows that had to do with health and wellness and mental health and all of these different categories. So it was just so well executed. And it would be interesting to hear your perspective of how you even thought to start approaching this, given the fact that you did have a foundation from Halo, but you really had to start fresh and say, how are we going to do this with levels to make the most, I guess, impactful process that we can run? Yeah, totally. I mean, there's a lot of angles to come at this at, but I'll start by just saying that in terms of like the health and wellness world, so podcasts that mostly exist to educate their audience specifically on how to live a healthier life or a more productive life or just a, a self-improved life, if you will, and giving them the tools, knowledge, tactics, et cetera. That list of shows is actually fairly finite. So we started by initially just kind of creating this like top 100 list. And that was part of the urgency with building some of these relationships is it's becoming kind of well-known within our space that it can be a bit of a land grab in terms of initially building relationships with some of these top podcast hosts in terms of securing these relationships before maybe competitors do. You know, there are millions of podcasts out there, but in terms of the most influential ones, it, specifically in the health and wellness space, there aren't that many. So that's kind of how we started. And then to oversimplify it, a lot of the approach was just getting really, really good at tapping our network for introductions and making that entire process as seamless as possible. It almost seems too simple. And I know not every company out there has the network that we have, but I think there's just an enormous amount of room for optimizing just a process for people helping you that most people out there don't take advantage of. Yeah, there are a couple things we have to drill down to. So when you say, let's rewind back to top 100, mm-hmm. right? when you say top 100, what was the way you thought about that, right? Like, did you go on to Apple Podcasts and look at reviews and say, cool, here are the top shows? Or like, what was that process to even figure out what those top 100 were? And then the other, to add on to the other point that you had made is when there are we'll say two direct competitors in a space, a podcast, let's say Broken Brain, for instance, friend of the show, right? Friend of Levels. Drew isn't going to have on Levels and then two weeks later have on Super Sapiens because it just doesn't make sense for his audience to have those like direct competitors too closely associated in cadence of his content, but also just interest for his audience, right? So that's what you mean by creating a moat of saying, cool, if we can get these top 100 podcasts and we create a bit of a moat to 
we'll call it somewhat lockout, not that you lock out competitors, but you make sure that the partnership is aligned with levels as opposed to another company. So let's rewind to what was that top 100 process to even get to that point? Yeah. I mean, again, it's pretty straightforward. Like I probably just as a consumer of these shows, and there are many other individuals at levels who listened to many of these shows as well. I probably knew at least 50 to 75 ballpark of those top 100, just based on understanding the podcast space, shows I listened to, as well as my experience at Halo. We definitely supplemented that approach and that initial list with our own research, which again is pretty simple. I mean, it's using iTunes charts. As, you know, there's a couple other websites out there like Chartable to just look at top 100 shows across different categories like health and wellness or self-improvement or education or technology. And pretty quickly, you can triangulate which are the shows that are remaining on the charts for kind of the longest period of time. I mean, it was pretty simple. It was that. And then it was maybe a couple other approaches that we layered in there. We're just asking people. So we're good at tapping our network when we have a question or need something. And so we probably asked 50 to 100 people in our network, just who are the top 10 shows? Who are your top 10 that you think we should target in terms of getting on their show for an interview, back to that podcast tour strategy, as well as a possible long-term kind of paid formal partnership. We did a little bit of fancy stuff in terms of like scraping the web for certain keywords. But to be honest, that top 100 was mostly done through our own knowledge and through our network. Yeah. And the top 100, like we're still in early innings of even a podcast tour in the sense of most of those podcasts would have some overlap in the Venn diagram. Like categorically, they're all relatively similar. We haven't gone as deep on technology or business podcasts. We've scratched the surface with some, but the early, we'll call it the early personas of members who've been through the beta typically have fallen into health and wellness or biohacker as a category. We call them wellness optimizer or yep. uh, we've got wellness optimizer. We've got metabolically curious. We've got all these personas. And so those personas, those members would typically lis listen to certain podcasts in the health and wellness space. And as we've explored or experimented with things like technology podcasts, hat tip to our friends at Acquired, we find that this audience, like I think it's 16% of their roughly 100 plus thousand downloads they get every show, 16% of those are engineers. And so we're unlocking a very different segment there and going, oh, this is how you reach a wider population. Exactly. And I think that's what's going to be really exciting in the next six to 12 months is being able to test a lot of these different audiences. As you mentioned, we focus pretty exclusively at the start on really just what's the early adopter crowd within health and wellness. So it's, we're asking ourselves, essentially, where are all of the people who already have learned about continuous glucose monitoring at some point in the past and are interested in this technology? Like, where do we find those people on the internet? And the answer was, they're listening to these podcasts and there aren't that many of them. So that's where we started, but certainly we can open it up to a lot of other markets in the future and test those markets both through, you know, this podcast tour strategy, as well as the more conventional, you know, podcast advertising strategy, which is a bit different. Totally. And so for the network, like tapping the networks and it's an endeavor that is never easy, right? So at the time when you started saying, hey, let's tap the Levels Network, that being personal network of the co-founding team, your network, and we'll call it anyone that that is a second degree connection, sometimes third degree. 
Yeah. That's one avenue, but that's still a pretty limited pool. And I think the unfair advantage that we had was we've got this counterintuitive approach that was taken for fundraising. And so typically when raising funds, the advice, we'll call it the average advice that would be given to founders or to startup teams is raise from a few people because you want to have fewer people to manage in your cap table and make sure everybody gets along and it's just easier. Make sure that everybody roughly knows each other too. That's going to help. It's going to help with connections. It's going to help with all these other things. And so Sam had come up with this approach where he said, cool, I'm going to use network theory and I'm going to focus on eigenvector centrality versus degree centrality, meaning I'm going to focus on getting a bunch of very, like to really say it in plain English, I'm going to focus on getting as many people as possible who are unrelated to each other that might have completely new connections that no one else in the network, like in this existing pool of people, any connections that they have. And so in doing so, we've got over 150 people on our cap table, cap table meaning our group of investors that have invested in levels. And they're everyone from professional, like a professional basketball player to people with experience in the music industry, professional musicians, like they're very unrelated and then like traditional venture capitalists. And so when we were able to reach out to that network and say, do you know Tim Ferriss? Do you know Joe Rogan? Do you know like some of these harder to reach podcasts? We would find, and this is like to digress on it, we've been able to benefit from our network for a lot of other relationship introductions that have to do with other partnerships or business considerations. And our network is like, oh yeah, Billy was my neighbor. I'll introduce you to Billy, right? Like, and this happens over and over. And so now like it was somewhat funny at first, but now it's just this outlook on strategy where we're like, well, of course, we're just going to reach out to our network and get, we'll have a clear ask and we'll get the introductions. We'll likely get the introductions to whomever or whichever company we're looking to get introduced to. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's a ton to unpack there. We can get into tactics, but like in short, you want to be the type of person or the type of company who people want to help. So that's number one. And then number two, you want to make it as easy as possible for them to help you. And we did have an unfair advantage for sure. So it's worth just saying that up front, given the successes that we had based on our network. Having said that, we weren't just tapping our investor network. I mean, like every email exchange I would have with anyone or any follow-up after a phone call with anyone, I would include a snippet that I had already saved with a little superhuman keyboard shortcut. I would add it into the end of every email, which was like, by the way, you mentioned offering to help in any way possible. We're making a push to get our founders on more podcasts. Do you know any podcasts in the health, wellness, technology, education space, like question mark? And when you put that in every single email that you send for six months, you're going to get a lot of responses back. (laughs) Eventually. (laughs) Yeah. It's also, there's a lot of subtlety in like how to effectively do this type of networking, but even the difference between just saying, keep me posted if you think of any podcasts that you might know of compared to Can you think of any podcasts where you know the hosts? And just leaving it as an open-ended but direct question, you're going to get a lot more responses with the latter. Yeah, the other, like to riff on that, the other thing that works really well is, let's say we reach out to Dom, right? We say Dom, hypothetically Dom. um, So Dom D'Agostino, he's one of our advisors and 
friend on Friday Forum every week. Dom knows Tim Ferriss. Dom knows Joe Rogan. And the, these are like loose relationships. Let's assume Dom didn't know Tim, but he knew Joe. And we could say, Dom, do you know Tim? Like we in a direct email. And this has worked very well with our investor network. I don't know Tim, but I actually know Joe. I know Joe Rogan. Is that helpful? And like when those responses come back, we're like, yes, of course, that's helpful when people have opened up these doors. And so that's the other thing that's worked really well with a lot of these asks is being so specific that if somebody says, I don't know X, but I do know Y, those doors that are unlocked are so much easier for them to answer than sometimes the broad question of like, yeah. let me know of any podcast that you find interesting. And people are just like, oh, bystander effect. Somebody else is going to answer this question, right? It's too broad. A hundred percent. And yeah, we definitely took that approach as well. Just one example of an exercise that I did a couple times was I took our list of a hundred people on our cap table or advisors or people in our network. And I just looked up every single one of their names in a couple of different databases, including just iTunes directly to find out what shows that they had been on themselves in the past. That we probably secured 30 plus shows just from that approach. Interacting with anyone who's ever been on a podcast and then figuring out what shows they've been on and then asking for an introduction. Especially with our advisors. Our advisors have been on so many podcasts because they're thought leaders in a lot of them in health and wellness, but in different spaces where we can ask specifically, hello, Dr. Mark Hyman, which podcasts have you been on? Granted, he's got his own very successful podcast. Mark has been on so many, he has been in so many different media appearances that like his network alone is so strong, right? And so if we just keep going over and over, there are so many shows where eventually we have some interweb of connection to many of these top tier shows. Totally. And just to take that specific example and walk through like a suboptimal approach for connecting to someone in Mark's network and then a much better approach you can reply on an email thread with Mark and say, Mark, I've seen that you've been on a lot of shows yourself. Would you mind making an introduction to some that you think could be a good fit for us? Question mark. That's one way to do it. And it's a way a lot of people would do it because it's a really easy and fast way to just reply to that email thread. But the problem is, is you're putting all of the work on Mark's plate to think about what shows he's been on, to figure out what might be a good fit for Levels, and then to go, presumably, then Mark has to go reach out to the shows and ask them if they're interested in Levels, and then he's got to describe Levels, et cetera, et cetera. And so the other approach would be to say, Mark, I researched some of the shows that you've been on, I identified five, and I'm going to start separate threads with forwardable emails that you can just press forward to, to the host, to gauge interest. And then you send an email to Mark that says, Mark, following up on our other thread, you mentioned knowing Joe Rogan. We've been huge fans of Joe for a really long time over here. Specifically, his recent episode with David Sinclair was incredible. And they talked about continuous glucose monitoring. Do you think Joe would be open to beta testing levels and having a conversation with Dr. Casey Means? More on levels below my sign up. And then Mark can just simply press forward to Joe Rogan's team. And it's way easier for him. It's just that easy, is it? <laughs> You make it sound so easy. No, but it's, it's amazing because something like that, you know, I think it's technically called like self-contained forwardable email like approach. A lot of people listening are probably like, yeah, 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 of course. But there are a lot of like very high functioning operators out there who have no idea what that approach is. And as someone who's now making a lot of introductions for other people, I'm often spending, you know, five email cycles, iterations with people 
who are looking for introductions, but are making it really difficult for me to make the introduction. And then I end up sending them a link to an article about forwardable emails and then giving them a draft of an example of a forwardable email. And so all this is to say, like a lot of this stuff sounds, uh, you know, silly or whatever, small potatoes, but if you can reduce friction and make it extremely easy for your network to help you, then you're going to see outsized results. That's exactly it. And so with podcasts, the podcast tour V1, we'll call it 1.0, that has somewhat come to a close where we've cooled down on podcast appearances for the most part, or as many as were being done previously. Like the fall of 2020, like call it Q1 2021, there were a number of appearances every week from Josh and Casey. Like it was just nonstop podcast, podcast, podcast. And there's still appearances, but they're less frequent. And part of that is because so many shows have been done. And then the other part is just adjusting course on strategy. And you've used this process to pursue affiliates and we'll call it affiliate slash influencers in the health and wellness space to continue this education process and find what other platforms do these influencers, where do they live? Where do they create content that we can reach people in a different way? And so what's that process been like that you've you've taken to pursue partnerships? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you can look at this broad space of like direct-to-consumer partnerships or you could call it influencer marketing. Someone recently called it relationship marketing channels. But basically like content creators of some kind that have a large audience on the internet. And content creator can mean on Instagram, obviously it could be podcasts, it could be YouTube, it could be blog and newsletter. And at the center of most of these partnerships or relationships is an actual individual, like someone like Dave Asprey or Ben Greenfield or Tim Ferriss or whoever. And they, they typically have a number of different platforms. So the strategy to date has been focusing on that kind of top 100 list and then slowly activating more and more of the content creators' platforms. So it might start with a podcast relationship that's organic and they're having you know, Casey on their show, who's a Stanford-trained medical doctor to talk kind of holistically about metabolic health, not necessarily push levels. But then as we build the relationship, we start activating other platforms that they have and potentially with a different financial arrangement. So we sort of started with focusing mostly on organic and earned media via this podcast tour where money wasn't being exchanged. From there, we started activating a lot of those relationships as affiliates. So they started to you know, promote a particular link and we're receiving commission. And then kind of the third iteration of this space is starting to actually spend a little bit more you know, of our marketing budget on paid placements and or advertisements, which is really a way we're going to end up kind of scaling up growth in sales and marketing. But in the near term has been a great way to secure relationships, secure these partnerships, like lock them in, at least for the time being, as well as just starting to test marketing channels. As much as it's cool to see website traffic go up or even waitlist signups go up, actually you know, testing these different markets with purchase links gives you a lot better data. So that's kind of where we're moving, but happy to dig into any platform in particular. Yeah. And that's the outlook, right? I think the outlook that we take with product, that we take with business model decisions with partnerships and we'll call it growth slash marketing is everything is about learning right now where it's, we have a hypothesis for this experiment. We run this experiment. We get data about it. 
we iterate on it, and then we just keep repeating. And so we're testing all these different channels to say, well, what actually happened? And trying to dissect as much as we can. Was it the channel? Was it the messaging? Was it like, what was it that resulted in really good results or mediocre, or in some cases, poor results where we say this didn't land and always revisiting, knowing that what doesn't land now, right? Like maybe one channel doesn't land right now, but down the road, it actually might be a great channel. It's just about timing, timing with the technology, timing with levels, timing with everything, right? So if we think about where partnerships are now and where they're headed, how has your thinking evolved about execution tactic and strategies, like where to play and how to win? Hmm. That's a good question in terms of how the approach has changed. I mean, I think in terms of just like tactical, as I mentioned, we're going to kind of move more into the big leagues. Like we've been building organic relationships, securing kind of earned media placements, much in the way that you'd pursue PR in terms of just not paying and being on a podcast and building an organic relationship. And then we're going to really just scale up these relationships across more channels. So kind of YouTube will be the next frontier. And then I think spending more on paid relationships in order to, again, like drive growth ultimately once we launch, but in the meantime, secure these partnerships and do way more market testing to figure out like what will be our go-to-market strategy. I think we need to get a lot more data on how these different channels work. So I think we kind of ran V1 of this general like sales outreach process for podcasts. And I think now it's about scaling out that approach across other channels and then beginning to higher on this team in order to just make the full system run a bit faster and more efficiently. That's exactly it. And also, we've been more diligent. And this is something that we talked about probably six months ago, at least six months ago, being focused with our time saying, we're focused on consumer over B2B. It doesn't mean that we're not pursuing B2B. It means that we have to be diligent about the way that we use our time to make sure that we're getting the most mileage out of every minute, every ounce of effort that's put forth. And so this lens on consumer and going hard and fast at consumer while still maintaining B2B, it's a way of making sure that we're not diluting our time so thin that one minute you're talking with somebody from the PGA, one minute you're talking with somebody in like the film and theater industry, one minute you're talking to somebody about consumer social, right? Otherwise, it's like, being a small team, your time just melts away and you do a lot of different things, but you end up doing a lot of nothing in the end, right? Like, because the results just can't compound when they're so unrelated. It's good experimentation, but it's not necessarily a good use of time when you are basically a solo team right now. A hundred percent. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's how our thinking has evolved the most, I would say, over the last six months. And I was just narrowly focused on these influencer partnerships. But to your point, the scope of my role includes the enterprise sales market, which is something we'll look at you know, more and more over time. An example of that would be selling into like corporate benefits teams at large, large companies. We just finished up a pilot with a large company that has about 30,000 employees. So kind of just testing the waters in that market. Larger brand partnerships which includes, you know, the professional sports world. 
And there are just so many interesting opportunities. A lot of them are, are shiny objects and are probably great things to layer on once we build the foundation of our, our product and our sales and marketing strategy. And so I think we, almost on a weekly basis, you and I are self-reflecting and trying to narrow our, our time and our scope to be focused only on what's essential, which is extremely difficult because when a very cool opportunity comes your way, you often like kind of erroneously make the calculus, well, this will just take 30 minutes of my time to have one intro call. But as you often remind me, that time balloons pretty quickly and that 30 minute call within a month becomes you know 10 or 20 hours of your time, depending on all the, the follow-up that usually ensues. Yeah, that's exactly it. It becomes a lot of team time because it's looping people in, communication overhead, CCing people and making sure everyone is in the loop about what's happening if it seems like a beneficial partnership and then closing the loop with everyone to saying, here was the outcome. And so when you, it's the decision tree, when you make the decision to go down the path of, I'm going to explore this further, that 15 minute conversation or even like email communication quickly expands into a lot of time being invested on behalf of the team. And so that's where having that lens on is this beneficial right now or should we punt it in the near term? That's something that I think we've been focused on ensuring that all of our time is invested as strategically as possible. Totally. And I think it really helps to just articulate the trade-offs. Like they, I think they talked about this in Working Backwards, which is a book about Amazon's growth and culture. Um, but Sam hits on this a lot as well, which is just like every decision will have trade-offs and there, there are going to be legitimate downsides to making a decision. And that's fine, but let's just know what they are and know what obstacles we might run into in the future and put them down on paper so we're all aware of it. And I think that that has been a helpful process for me because often when you're not articulating them, then it becomes too painful to hypothetically say no to that phone call or to that opportunity. And so you end up just taking it. But when there's a strategy on paper, where you say, no, we're saying no to, say, sports partnerships with top leagues like the NBA or the NFL or whatever. Once you just have that principle written down, then it can become much easier to pass up on those opportunities. What's your closer? What's my closer? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> You need a closer, man. Dude, I don't know what a closer is. You got to guide me on a closer. I, I don't have a quote ready or anything like that. <laughs> you want me to, I feel like you and Josh are just BSing about what you're going to do the rest of the day or something like that. Well, that's the point. That's the point of recording beforehand or after a little bit like this where we keep it turned on. I like recording all the <laughs> pre stuff because that's where you get a ton of good content from. On little sound bites. Yeah, like especially for... It's sort of like our production styles that we have these, like the intro bites are always some yeah. tentpole moment or some like cool nugget from the actual recording. And then the outro is always some silly thing like, oh, I'm going to play with my Hot Wheels this weekend. I know, I know. I, I like the outros. I always look forward to those. Maybe that should be our outro right there. <laughs> <laughs> too meta, too meta. <laughs> <laughs>